Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This week, we dive into a new sermon series, Wesley's Three Simple Rules, and we will unpack over the next three weeks Wesley's Three Simple Rules of Do No Harm, Do Good, and Attend to the Ordinances of God. This week, we start with Do No Harm, and we look into Paul's letter to the Romans and even a little bit into Jesus' journey. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes. And we would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. And we would love it if you would help to support the mission and ministries here at Beach Grove through your generous tithes and offerings. A link to our digital donation uh, uh Offering is available in the podcast notes as well. And lastly, we hope you will find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoy this week's message and please don't forget to share it with others. Our scripture lesson this week comes from Romans 12 verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we are truly thankful to God. Amen. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day we would grow closer to you, we would understand your grace and love more, and we would see ways to show it to others as we live our daily lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we move into this interesting season. I know it's been a it's been a couple of weeks since I preached last. I enjoyed uh, a day off last week as I was uh, recovering and recuperating from all of the annual conference activities. I'm very thankful for Avon, who was also with me at annual conference and uh, graciously stepped into the pulpit and gave you all a wonderful message last week. Uh, but as we move forward, I, I wanted to take, a, I have a few weeks here where I, I was struggling with what I wanted to, or what God was calling me to preach about. Um, and I, I settled on these three simple rules that John Wesley gives us through his ministry. Primarily because I had three weeks, and I'm like, three rules, three weeks. It's a really good combination 
um, to, to bring it in. And, and John Wesley, this, this leader, this spark of this Wesleyan movement that leads to our United Methodist denomination, in his preaching and in his teaching, taught about these three rules for Christian community together as we formed ourselves in societies. And these have been uh, written about and expounded upon throughout the years. Uh, one of the books that I love to read is by Bishop Reuben Job talking about these three simple rules. And Wesley laid these three simple rules out as do no harm, do good, and attend to the ordinances of God, or, or as Bishop Job put it in his writing, stay in love with God. We continue to reflect on, on what this society, that is not just this Beach Grove community, but our greater community, the societies that we form ourselves in. Wesley had this understanding, this idea that when you came together as a society, as a group of people, that body was responsible for learning with one another to form smaller classes for accountability. And so no matter where we are, whether we're in this, this large Beach Grove community, all of the folks who are a part of it, who worship with us, who serve with us, who are witness to the work that we are doing, or whether we are out living our daily lives and we are engaging in different societies around us, different areas, different avenues for learning in which we come together and form groups for accountability within that. And so as we look at this, I think that these rules become pertinent as we continue to move ourselves forward as a community together, continuing to strengthen that within community that we have been talking about, and then continuing to strengthen our bond to the community outside of the walls, outside of the community of this church. And these become important notions as we talk about living together. So we're going to start at the top. We're going to start with rule number one. Do no harm. Now, you may look at those rules. You have all three of the rules listed in your sermon notes today. And, and you see do no harm. It seems pretty simple. But then you look at that second rule and you're like, do good. And you're like, hold up, pastor. Hold up, hold up. Isn't that like the same thing, right? I mean, do no harm, do good. And I'll say no, a little bit yes, but also no. These two distinct rules are talking about two very different natures of how we interact with the world. We'll get into what it means to do good next week. And I'll start by saying that both of these rules involve a manner of action on our part. And that is why Wesley was very distinct as he began to define these rules. He began to know what it meant to live in society together. And there is a reason that the first rule is not do good but that the first rule is to do no harm. Because for Wesley, in order to do good, we first had to commit to doing no harm. In order to be a society together, and in order to understand what it means to do no harm, we must recognize, first of all, that all are created in God's image, and therefore of sacred worth. The very nature of humanity within each and every one of us is the reason that we deserve this understanding of being treated with the same love that God has given to us. And the most inherent and basic nature is that all humanity deserves not only God's love and grace from God, because fun fact, we don't control that, but they also deserve the same manner and respect of love and grace 
from each and every one of us. Right? We've talked before that if God loves us, and God loves the rest of creation, then we should love the rest of creation as well. To seek to build them up, not causing harm, to love one another. I mean, it seems simple, right? Three words. Do no harm. And yet sometimes I think we look out in society and we're like, but there's so much pain, there's so much hurting. We see the implications and effects of the harm that we have caused in our society. Now I know, I know, I know, this is just Pastor Andrew getting negative about the world again, I apologize. But sometimes, I think we've got to name things for what they are. In order to grow in a better manner to love and serve God. Sometimes it takes calling out the sins and evils of this world. Sometimes it takes naming the pain and the hurt that is in both our lives or in the lives of others. In order for us to find healing and reconciliation that causes or that prevents us from causing harm in the future. That begins that work in which God is calling us to not just do good but to actively consider what it means to not cause harm in this world. Not only am I thinking about the folks who I am serving, the folks who I am giving to, the folks that I am serving out of my nature of God's missional calling in my life, but I'm also considering the day-to-day -day implications of the interactions that I have with others. I'm considering the empathy that it takes to exist in this world to love each and every person that comes across my path. Now as I prepared for this sermon, I often will go back and see when I've maybe preached on a scripture before, and, and actually I've done this series before, I forgot that I had done it. Um, I recycle themes, I don't recycle sermons, don't worry, this is a completely new sermon, this, I rewrote it from scratch. I promise you, it started with a blank page and lots of angst. But the last time that I preached this sermon was the week following the protests in Charlottesville. And no, I didn't plan it that way. I didn't say, oh, look, there's a protest in Charlottesville. Let me now preach. No, I remember I put my series together months in advance. And as I saw that in my previous sermon, I reflected on maybe how much we have not grown as a society. How those events have not caused, have not brought about healing, but have even caused further division. Thinking maybe this would be an anomaly, maybe this would be a wake-up call for us to really focus and understand what it means to love our neighbor, what it means to actively not cause harm, not cause harm across humanity. But we continue to see this nature of harm leach into our society and even into our church. Distorting not just the way that we live together, but distorting the very religion that we love in the deepest core of our bodies. Sometimes we even say that God ordains these things. Sometimes we say that God is the one that is causing the harm himself. 
These are ideas that are present in our society, and these are ideas that infect the faith, the religion, the God that we love so dearly. And it's so counter and against the scriptures that we hold true. This harm continues to happen, and I wish that we would have learned our lesson then and began to make a turn, began to uh, reconcile, began healing. But as I look and reflect on our society, we continue to see the hurt and pain that exists. We continue to see the way in which people in our society are hurt and harmed. Sometimes even by the smallest decisions that we make, but it is still hurt and harm that is worthy of hearing, that is worthy of listening to. And regretfully, even I have caused harm. I, your pastor, have caused harm in other people's lives. And so, you know, not only is this sermon for each one of you, it's for me as well. We must stop. There is a reason that one of these rules is do no harm. And it's because over and over in Scripture, Jesus places love of God and love of neighbor above everything else. If we look at the way that Jesus talks about in Scripture, the laws, the commandments, the only two that he talks about is love God and love neighbor. He says everything else that is worthy of God hinges on those two things. I mean, look at it. it so if, I know we read, a, we read a passage from Paul, and I'm going to get there, I promise. I promise. But I want you to go with Mark 3 for me for a second. If you got your Bible, your few Bibles, and it's the story of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Yeah. It's the story of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And if you look at Mark 3, verse 4, it is this nature in which Jesus looks at what is presently in front of him, and he has two options. Either he can work for healing and reconciliation, or he can continue to perpetuate the harm that society has caused for this man. And what does Jesus say? Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? It? Right in the midst of the Pharisees giving Jesus a hard time about healing a man on the Sabbath, Jesus says, look, is it more lawful to do good or to cause harm? And what does Jesus do? He opts for the good, the healing, the reconciliation that can take place. And Jesus doesn't leave it there because he continues to have conversations with the Pharisees to help them to understand this nature. Because Jesus is acutely aware that even his decision is causing harm, causing angst to the Pharisees. And so Jesus not only extends healing and reconciliation to the man that he heals, but he also extends an opportunity to heal and reconcile this nature, this relationship, this conversation with the Pharisees as well. And Paul picks up on this too. Paul picks up on this when he is writing to the Romans here in our passage today. Yeah, told you there. Here in Romans 12, we see the way in which Paul identifies this genuine love that is called to be in front of us. <clears throat> Encourages it to be a guiding point of our interaction with God, with humanity, with all of creation. That instead of responding 
out of evil, out of hatred, out of anything else, we respond out of love. And Paul responds with not just any type of love, right? Y'all heard me preach on love before. You probably get sick and tired of it sometimes. But honestly, like when it's the root of the gospel, it comes up. And Paul and Jesus and the, the biblical writers use this word agape, right? And I've unpacked it before, I know. But let's just, just for the sake of, of this conversation, for those of you who may not be familiar Agape, or if, if I do just a simple word study in my, in my Greek lookup stuff that I have on my computer, it says, Agape denotes the love which springs from admiration and veneration, which chooses its object with decision of will and devotes a self-denying, compassion devotion to it. Love in its fullest conceivable form. Now you're probably wondering, like, Pastor, that's a lot of big words. And I get it, because sometimes I have to use my dictionary as well. It's a lot of big words, but at its basic form, agape love is a love that does not expect anything in return. It is not given based on what someone else can offer. It is not given based on what someone else has done. It is not given based on who the other person is. The greatest thing about this agape understanding of love is that it exists. It exists with no context. No pretext, nothing. It exists and it is given. It is given by God to us. And as Jesus notes, and as Paul picks up here as he's writing this letter to the Romans, it is the gift that we also give to others. Out of a loving response to the God that, not, that we not only love, but that loves us. The purest form of love there is. A love that knows no boundaries or no borders. It is a love that is called to extend and to do no harm. It means that we live by this law of love. Agape calls us to see our neighbor as a beloved creation of God and to seek to care for them. <laughs> And it causes us to look at our society in a different way. Because it causes us to look at our society and to see the hurts and pains, to see the harm that has been done, so that one, we can learn how to not cause harm, and two, so that we can find healing and reconciliation that can take place in our lives. And as we look at the reasons that we fail to uphold this rule, and I love this. Bishop Joe gives us a few reasons. He says that, one, we lack self-discipline to trust God in difficult situations. We have bound ourselves to a certain ideology or theology rather than binding ourselves to Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. And then we are afraid of its consequences. Right? So we lack the self-discipline to truly trust God in difficult situations, and we end up causing harm. We end up hurting people, causing damage and destruction. Sometimes the ideology, the theology that we have picked up over the years has focused less on Christ and more on other things. And sometimes, sometimes, we're afraid of the consequences of what it may truly look like to love someone. 
Remember at the beginning when I said it was simple? I think I just complicated things, didn't I? It's complicated because it means we have to let go of ourselves. Or at least, we have to let go of the way that we often perceive things. We have to get out of our own way. It means that we discipline ourselves to live by those commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. <clears throat> Even before I started writing this sermon, this was something that I had been contemplating on my mind. We contemplate a lot on how we perceive harm lately. As I wrestled and struggled with this sermon, I tried to think of ways that we could be better as a humanity together. And as I sat last week at an annual conference, I became acutely aware of what it looks like to name harm. And the difficulty that comes with naming harm to both prevent further harm, but also to prevent harm and calling it out. As there was a peaceful protest on the floor of an annual conference, for a clergy who's currently been under investigation for over a thousand days, over three years, limited in the way that he can care for himself and care for his family in that manner. Yes, we can name that he did something that was against the Book of Discipline. And yet, that does not mean that harm deserves to be caused. Yes, it means there are consequences. But as I stood there on the floor of annual conference, surrounded by friends and colleagues, helping and praying and singing over this situation, I also realized that in calling out the harm that was being caused against this clergy person, that in the same moment I had to make a decision of what it might look like to undermine our bishop. The harm that we might be causing against her. Like I said, friends, it's not easy. I knew that standing up there, standing in solidarity with my colleagues, calling out the harm that had been done, wrestling with this understanding, I so badly just wanted to hear our bishop understand and hear the pain that existed within the hearts of those individuals. I wanted our bishop to understand the harm that had been caused. I didn't want to disrespect her office. But like Jesus, when he encounters the Pharisees, I wanted to have a conversation that could lead to healing and reconciliation. And sometimes those difficult decisions are made, not to cause harm, but to help to heal and reconcile. Did I do the right thing? I still have no idea. But did we start the process to hopefully begin to have those conversations of what it looks like? To have a resolution. To allow these pastors to move on with their ministry, with their lives, to allow them to be able to care for their family, their friends, in ways that they cannot because they are in this situation. Your pastor stood up in front with that group because of the harm that was being done, not to cause more harm, but to seek to be a bridge 
a listening ear, a voice of healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness. To show that even in the midst of differences, we don't have to hurt other people. I know even right here in this congregation, there are differences in opinion. I know our society can be better. I know we can heal the fractured relationships of race, of culture, and culture in our society. As we learn about and confront the very real societal sins of racism. As your pastor standing before you, I know that inclusion of our LGBT siblings offers a path to healing and reconciliation. And I also know that caring for creation and building a society that respects this planet as we are called to respect one another is crucial. And friends, I know that saying that is making you squirm a little bit. Because you may not believe it. And that's okay. Because right now I'm stepping out of the pulpit to tell you that's my belief. I'm not forcing you into those beliefs. But what I'm saying Love your pastor. <laughs> and love one another. Because when we stop doing that, we cause harm. We cause irreparable damage. That is going to take more work to heal than it would be to offer God's grace and love. In the midst of differences, in the midst of all the things that are going on, Even when we differ, may we still love. This is our task, right? Paul says right there in Romans, in Romans 9, he says, he says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Because the more that we argue, has anybody ever tried to argue with a child? <laughs> oh, mom, yeah. Like it doesn't go well. <laughs> And I think we can all see sometimes when we argue, the voices just become magnified back and forth. When we're encountered with a nature uh, of harm, of evil, let us be the stalwart foundation of love. Yes, there are ways that we can continue to advocate for a better society, but that does not mean that we have to hurt others in the process of doing it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh -huh. Trust me. Because I've had a lot. No, a lot of anger lately. Uh -huh. At the way that sometimes our society is causing harm to those who don't deserve it. And as your pastor, in a moment of honesty and openness, I sometimes struggle with what it looks like to respond to evil in a way that doesn't cause harm. Because it can be difficult. But Bishop Job says that this act of doing no harm it requires examination, guiding, guarding, and transformation of the heart. It's to consider that true love should manifest from us the same way it manifests from God. That love is for anybody everybody. It doesn't matter who they are. And so let us listen to these words from Paul. Oh. To let our love be genuine. 
to hate what is evil, to hold fast to what is good, and to love one another with mutual affection. And here's the funnest part that I love. Outdo one another in showing honor. We're going to have a love battle. <laughs> who loves who more? Never does Jesus tell us that we should not love. Trust me, I've been studying the Bible for years and I still have not found it. Nor do I expect to. And so when we talk about doing no harm, it's an intentional thought of what it looks like to love our neighbor. Sometimes, even when we may not agree with them, even sometimes when it may go against our beliefs to do so. And that's the tough thing. So let us do no harm. Amen. As we move into a time of prayer, I do want to name all the stuff, not all the stuff, because that would take a long time. Y'all got time? We're ever going to go have lunch after this? To continue to be praying for our conference as it continues to do work. I was reflecting it was not a tumultuous conference as it normally is, it just had some really interesting moments in it. Continue to pray for our conference. As it continues to go through this transition, as we see churches and pastors leave our denomination, as we continue to wrestle with these social ideas today, pray for our churches as they continue to discern, as they continue to seek, as they continue to know and understand themselves in God's kingdom. And friends, let's pray for our country and for our world. They continue to go through the same struggles of how we can seek to not 